Hello, everyone, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching Medium Cool Pod. That's facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. And also, hey, wherever you're listening to this, please like, subscribe, follow, whatever the thing you need to do. Please do that thing so you can keep up with all the things we're doing. And also, if you feel like it, leave a rating or review. We really appreciate what you can do. So all that said, I am uh, bringing back a, uh, a friend of mine. His name is Rick Jimenez, and uh, he's been on the show before. I may have called him Rick Jimenez, and he may or may not have been fine with it that time. Uh, this time he corrected me. I had no idea I was singing wrong. But anyways, it's Rick Jimenez, and he is in uh, the band Extinction AD, an awesome metal band. Definitely go check out uh, all of their stuff. I'll have some more uh, information in the outro about that, but they just put out a new record. Definitely go check that out. Extinction AD. But uh, Rick is a rad dude, and I had him on here, and I had no intentions of doing... Uh, I, I Basically, I had no plan. It's just last time we, ma- we mainly talked about uh, metal and wrestling, and then uh, we talked a little bit about movies at the end. I thought, dude, I want to have this guy back. I want to talk about movies because I know we could just go on and on. And I knew he was a fan of Quentin Tarantino. So I decided to uh, bring up like, hey, man, like uh, let's talk about Tarantino. And then uh, eventually just on a whim, I was just like, hey, dude, can you rank them? And then this turned into a Quentin Tarantino ranking episode. So <laughs> uh, so that is why, uh, you know, talking Quentin Tarantino with Rick Jimenez uh, will likely be the uh, title of the show. Uh, but anyways, we go through quite a few of them. I went ahead because we went like two and a half hours, and a lot of times I will post a two and a half hour episode, but I decided to cut this one off uh, about halfway, and then uh, we will pick the next one up next week. So this will be a part one and part two, all focusing on Quentin Tarantino. Uh, but with that said, I hope you guys can enjoy that. Like I said, next week will be Rick Jimenez again for part two. But until then, uh, we will talk about Tarantino. And what I want you to do is hit us up on our social media. Like I said, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Instagram's probably the best if I had to guess. Um, but you can hit us up wherever. Email us. Let us know your rankings. I'm very curious. Um, and feel free to listen to the show first before you respond if you want. But I would love to hear what some of the listeners' favorite Tarantino movies are, um, or at least rank all of them if you've seen all of them. And uh, yeah, let me let me know. I'm very curious how other people rank him, but you'll get mine and you will get Rick's. So without further ado, let's go see what Rick's up to. All right, everyone, I'm here with Rick Jimenez. Uh, I just caught him when he was taking a drink, but I'm going to let him say hi when he's finished. (laughs) Say hi, Rick. What's up, man? I'm happy to be back. It's actually Jimenez, but that's fine. Jimenez. Dude, I said Jimenez last time, and you were like, yeah, that's fine, I think. Maybe I'm making that up. I'm probably making that up, actually. Um, It's Rick Jimenez. There you go. I go back and forth. Sometimes, you know, it's like, eh, it's fine. Other times I'm like, hey, man, I'm Puerto Rican. So let's. Uh, <laughs> well, I want to get it right. That's like very important to me. I also <laughs> I, I teach public speaking as well. Not right now, but uh, like generally just throughout the year, I'll teach a few classes. And um, I always take pride in saying people's names correctly. Like the first day. 
Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes I butcher all of them. But usually, <laughs> usually I'm pretty actually like an 80% plus like I'm spot on. Um, but yeah, sometimes I fail. Uh, always correct me because I guarantee I'll probably say it wrong in the future. But I'm going to really try to remember that. So last time you were on, man, we talked a lot about uh, music. We talked a lot about uh, wrestling because <laughs> there's a lot going on in wrestling at the time, too. Um, and then we got we we worked in a little bit of uh, of movie talk. We talked about the MCU, but I want to kind of uh, get away from the MCU, though I'm not opposed to talking about it. But that's not my intent here. Um, we didn't get to talk as much about some other things, and I know you're a fan of Quentin Tarantino, Huge. and as am I. Quentin Tarantino was like the first director love of mine, where uh, I didn't really know exact, or at least American director, I didn't know what a director fully did when I was already watching Tarantino movies like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. I just had no idea uh, what directors did. And then it was actually Jackie Brown that someone was like, have you seen Jackie Brown? And at the time, those were the only movies that were out of his that were like the full features. And uh, I was like, I don't know what a Tarantino is, you know, and they were kind enough to explain. And we watched Jackie Brown. Uh, And that was like the first time I'd ever watched something thinking, wait, 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 wait. So this guy made all three of these things. And okay, I'm like starting to pick up on these things. Right. So I I have a a bit of a soft spot for Tarantino just because he he indirectly kind of taught me things about film, you know. Um, But I I have two questions for you, Rick. And this is what this is where I want to start. And one of them is going to be tough. So you just take your time, I guess. But the first one is, what is it about his films that connect with you? And if you had to rank them, gun to your head, how would you rank his directed works? So first off, very similar experience where you grow up. I think we're probably similar ages. I just turned 42. Okay, I'm 37. Okay, yeah. So we're in the same age bracket. So I saw Pulp Fiction first and then my friend who showed me Pulp Fiction and it was relatively new. But I'll tell you how relatively new it was, I guess. Sure. We saw that, and then he showed me Reservoir Dogs and said, oh, it's the same director. And same thing. I knew that directors were a thing and writers and blah, blah, blah. But I never really had put it together that there was, like, a style, like, through film. And you find out, oh, dialogue. Like, at the time, you know, so I guess this was 95 or 94, perhaps, Um Pulp Fiction. Did you see Pulp Fiction in the theaters? No, no. It was. Oh, okay, uh, okay. So probably probably 95 or something. Yeah. uh, Yeah. VHS at Mike Daflos' house, one of my childhood best friends. Um, (laughs) I had those friends. (laughs) Yeah. We're actually still friends. Um, Showed me Pulp Fiction. He's like, hey, you're going to love this. We watched it. And you've never seen anything like that before. And that goes even beyond the, oh, it's out of order time-wise, which is no big deal now, the biggest deal in the world then. But just the dialogue and the characterization and, you know, we'd both known The Godfather already and uh, Scarface and kind of like all all the mob-ish movies are the closest things to associate to a Tarantino movie back then. Possibly even still. But then Reservoir Dogs, which is like, well, this was his first movie and it's a little grittier and all right, I don't really know what these words mean as far as film goes yet because I'm, you know, 13 or 14 or whatever, but my friend's opening my mind and I'm like, yo, this is, you could cut a guy's ear off on a movie. Like I saw The Untouchables when he hits him in the head with the bat um, (laughs) and you don't even see, you know, you don't really see either of those. 
but the ear slicing move, uh, scene in Pulp Fiction in Reservoir Dogs. The ear slicing scene in Reservoir Dogs <laughs> is like, dude, what did I just watch? So then very quickly, it's like, well, his last movie just came out. Let's see if we could rent it. And it was um, Jackie Brown. I th- yeah. My memory may be off here, but it doesn't matter. I guess I'm just telling a story. So let's just pretend this is exactly how it happened. <laughs> and even then, I remember hearing, well, it's not as good as the first two, but, you know, it's pretty cool. So that movie had that stigma right away. And I, I will do my ranking. And the thing is, I could do rankings with anything all day because I know I don't have it's a one time thing. It's, you know, it, it's not going <laughs> it to stick with me forever. Exactly. So it's going to relieve some of the stress. But I never at any point once in my life thought of Jackie Brown as anything but up there with all the other top Tarantino movies. And I think that movie actually has aged maybe better than any of them. Maybe. Uh, Fantastic. As well. Exactly. At least as well. Yeah. Um, So uh, same thing, like realizing, oh, so you like Tarantino movies and Tarantino is a director and he plays Jimmy in Pulp Fiction. You know, he's Mr. Brown and Reservoir Dogs. Like he puts himself in his own movies. That's crazy. Like when Pete Rose would play first base and was the uh, manager of the Reds at the same time, like, oh, that's. That's only with crazy people who hit over 5,000 <laughs> hits or yeah, whatever that number is that I should know. Uh, 5142? Is that how many hits Pete, Ro- Pete Rose has? You're asking the wrong guy, man. 4125? <laughs> we can I'm Google getting... this at some point and correct Yeah, <laughs> I should know. How many steals does Ricky Henderson have? 1485? Um, so that was the first – same thing. The first time I paid attention to director. Like, oh, that w- yeah. It's not just like um, a cast member. Oh, I really like this actor. Um, I really like these types of movies. I'm like, oh, I know who George Lucas is because of Star Wars. But it, it's different. The director. And then, hey, let's watch From Dusk Till Dawn. Like, all right, cool. And I don't, I don't normally count that as one of his movies. So I'm not going to. In, no. in the lineup. No, well, so I, I asked for directed works because he was in that and he wrote that movie, um, but it was not one of his like directed works. Same thing goes for uh, granted. He wasn't in True Romance, but mm-hmm. he did write True Romance. I'm also not counting four rooms, which he had one of the four segments in. I'm talking about features. as yeah, well. I, so I'm on the same page with you. Yeah. with goes all the time. Now, if I'm doing a watch through, which I do often, hey, let's watch all these in a row. I'll pick and choose whether I'm going to – all right, I'm including True Romance in this time. Do you remember the first time you saw From Dusk Till Dawn? Yes, I do. Did you know – like did you see the trailer before you watched it? Uh, No, actually it was after – so I – just a quick kind of caveat here to rewind to where you did here. I saw Reservoir Dogs first, and it was before I got into movies though. My buddy Riley, who pretty much got me into movies – Excuse me. He gave me his dad's VHS of Reservoir Dogs. He's like, dude, go watch this. It's awesome. So I watched it. And uh, at first I was like, dude, this is so boring. They're just talking. Blah, you know. <laughs> but by the end, it just totally captured me because I was just like uh, prematurely judging it. Right. But then by the time it moves on, you're just like, fuck, this is so good. So um, I saw that. 
and it was it was probably like a year or two or more later when I saw Pulp Fiction. Like I had no idea. It wasn't until I got into movies that I saw Pulp Fiction. Uh, so and that was 2003, actually, when I got into like really got into wanting to learn about movies. I watched tons of movies before then, of course, including Reservoir Dogs. So uh, whenever From Dust Till Dawn came out, I want to say um, I had already seen Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown, and I was hungry to see more Tarantino. And someone was like, if you want to see more. He's acting in this. I did not know he had written it. And I didn't even look for a trailer at the time because, you know, I didn't have YouTube or whatever. So I just literally went to the video store and rented it. <laughs> like, Dude. that's what happened. So that's my experience. I went in blind. I just knew it was uh, my friend told me it was about vampires and there's a bar in it called the Titty Twister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's and, all yeah, I knew going in. That's plenty to know to get you excited about it. But same thing. My friend Mike Daflos showed me from Dusk Till Dawn. And I don't recall knowing anything about it aside from, hey, he would show me movies and I would show him like episodes of TV shows that I liked. And mm -hmm. we kind of go back and forth. So we went into that. Hey, I just trust when he puts something on, I'm going to like it. And we watched it. So I had no idea what I was in store for. And the beginning of that movie is very Tarantino movie-ish. Sure. And then it turns into – the vampire movie and it's like it turns into a Rodriguez whoa. movie <laughs> exactly sure. and yeah. same thing I had no idea who Robert Rodriguez was at that time it's like what the fuck just happened with this movie I have no idea I understand it but I don't really understand it uh Cheech Marin is here <laughs> yeah. what is going on <laughs> uh and dude so cool so knowing all of those things and lumping those four movies together by the time kill bill was about to come out it was like an event um i feel like all my close friends whether they were movie guys or not were all tarantino guys so it was like a really big deal the band i was playing in at the time we were was that this is hell no this is way before that this was Subject. really okay yeah um we were all like tarantino freaks so we, I, th I think the first back then, you know, this was uh, 96 to 2003. So even when we first started, like a band making a t-shirt, that was like a big deal. So it's like, we yeah, would make yeah, like for sure. one t-shirt to sell a year. Remember like the second, third and fourth t-shirt we made were all like Tarantino based. We did a seven inch with uh, Reservoir Dog styled artwork. We did a record release show where we were playing Reservoir Dogs clips between songs and we all dressed like the the bank robbers and all that yeah. stuff. So even though that band wasn't even together anymore by the time Kill Bill came out, you know, a bunch of us got together and went to see Kill Bill 1 and the same thing with Kill Bill 2. And it was, mm -hmm. it was just a big deal at that point that we had followed Tarantino's uh, career and his uh, – yeah filmography and his adjacent filmography at that point you know that's where true romance comes in which is a movie i saw um way back and never associated with um, yeah. any of the original ones until you know i kind of learned a little bit more and same thing oh he wrote this movie whatever I'm like oh man and christian slater's in this and yeah spider-man number one which it, you know, it's the Spider-Man from the 90s, number one, the fourth series. So it doesn't really matter. Like, they make it seem like it matters in the movie. But they're talking about Spider-Man comics in the movie. I'm like, yo, this is 
the sickest. So, um, yeah, I, I've been since I realized that Quentin Tarantino was a specific thing. Always like a big, a big fan, and it's kind of like your first favorite band. Like, yeah, oh, was Tarantino oh, my yeah. favorite director? Always, it's my go-to response, and I know it's kind of almost generic. But hey, my go-to favorite band is generic Metallica. My go-to favorite wrestler, even though I'm one A and one B, Ric Flair and Ultimate Warrior. And they're all yeah. generic things, and a lot of people like want to play the deep cut game, which is totally cool. But it, you know, I'm just always being yours. honest. Yeah, and th- those and, are and, still mine. Yeah, and and last week I, I brought this up on the podcast too. Something that I've <clears throat> kind of pinpointed that I love about this show is not telling you what you should like. And my goal is not to tell you like if you're right or wrong. I want to understand why you like what you like. You know what I mean? And yeah. that's like where my interest lies. And I want to I'm going to give you a second to think about this about today's ranking of Tarantino movies, okay? But I, I I'm going to say this about True Romance. True Romance is a great film to watch. If you like Tarantino, but you want to see what his movie would be like directed by someone else, because it like sounds like his movie, like the characters talk a certain way. Gary Oldman's character who directed by directed by um, uh, Tony Scott is not nearly as cool as a character like that directed by a Tarantino. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And so it's so interesting to see how someone like that Tarantino writes a movie and someone else, how they would visualize that, right? Because you have like the um, the quote unquote like Mexican standoff at the end of True Romance between like the cops and the whoever. I haven't seen it in a while, so I can't even remember who's it's between. I just remember you have like the two groups in like a hotel suite, mm-hmm. like about the shootout, right? Um, and I think it's like drug dealers or something and cops. That's probably what it is. Yes, yeah, so uh, like but anyways, the, the like three factions. Yeah. And there's this, this like big Mexican stand. That is the most Tarantino thing ever. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh just yeah, the it's, most. It's in all of the original movies. You know, we got it in yeah. Reservoir Dogs. We um, you get it to a certain extent in Pulp Fiction, especially in the um, the basement scene, and and what even in like. That's just like a Tarantino staple, and it's funny because that took years for me to really put that together. Um, and sometimes that like kills the magic a little bit, you know, cause you could, the films are so good that you don't notice that it's some of the same belt. I didn't notice that it was some of the same bells and whistles, but same thing, just like music and wrestling and everything else I love, you like something on one level and then you find out some of the magic and it's kind of like, well, do I not enjoy that anymore? Cause I know the magic or I know the magic cause I'm so used to it. And then when you go into new stuff, because you know the magic, you kind of appreciate it that much more and going to absolutely stay away from wrestling. But as a kid, you like wrestling at a certain <laughs> level. And then I when you it. get older, some people are like, ah, but it's so fake. And then you kind of get into like, oh, well, I've actually seen this exact match, you know, last year and the year prior. And it kind of kills it. And then you like, if you think about why it's the same, it's a new level of intrigue and then you get over it and they do some different stuff and then you find the internet and you find the inner workings like, oh my God, this is so stupid. It's a bunch of grown men in underwear and boots and jewelry playing politics and you're like, yeah, that's more exciting than what's on screen and how it affects what's on screen during wrestling. It, it, it kind of builds. So um, the first time it hit me like, oh, the Mexican standoff, that's just every movie he does is building towards yeah. that. It's kind of like, no, 
that's the same way of dismissing a wrestling match that saying like, oh, well, after the heat, there's a comeback and then there's going to be a finish. Like, oh, it's always building to the finish. Of course, it's building yeah. to the finish. How we yeah. get there in the story. That's the important part. That's the important part, right? You could. T- so I, I don't like thinking of um, movies as being ruined if I know the end, because mm-hmm. it's all about the journey getting there. Right. I don't really care about where we end. I want to see how we get there and then show me even if I knew something like the sixth sense, which has a twist that a lot of people feel is ruined. Uh, yes, that would change my experience watching it. If I knew that, you know, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Spoiler alert. If you haven't seen a <laughs> what 23 year old movie or something. Um, but my point is, like, if if I had known that going in, it would have changed the experience. Mm-hmm. But the trip getting there is still the key. And the same thing goes with uh, wrestling. Like we like you just said, like if I know the finish, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily ruin the match for me because a lot of times say watching AEW and again, I'm not trying to get into wrestling, but it is you're, you hit it on the head. It's a great <laughs> example, right? Like it's good. It's a good thing to use watching AEW. There's a lot of times where I'm like, there's no way this dude's losing a title. I know who's going to win now. Show me why I should care now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, because this match is going to be awesome. Um, and so with with uh, things like Kill Bill Volume 1, I remember I had already gotten into Tarantino at this point, and uh, Volume 1 came out, and I went to the theater to see it um, with my now wife, actually, but we dated then and broke up <laughs> around that time, and then later got back together. But um, so, like, she was there, and then my buddy Riley, who got me into films, who gave me, like, Reservoir Dogs, the VHS to watch. Um, we all went and I did not like Kill Bill. I was like, what the fuck did I just watch? This was so dumb. Why did it do this? Why? Why were they in the suburbs? And it looks stupid. Why do they have the pussy wagon? You know, <laughs> and then I and then uh, after that, probably the next year or pro- well, between that, and when volume two came out, volume two came out about six months later, eight months later. So and by that point, I'd watched a ton of like samurai movies and mm-hmm. kung fu movies and i watched a bunch of film or uh, french new wave and i found like just all of the like uh, italian westerns oh my god i fell in love with italian westerns like good the bad and the ugly and things like that yeah and so i started watching that and i rewatched volume one before volume two before i went to the theater to see it yeah and i fucking fell in love with volume one because i got it do you get what i'm saying oh and, dude, and ab- so absolutely you were talking about magic and I, I, I want to talk about this because I find this interesting and there's no right or wrong way. But um, but for me, I always think of the more I learn. It's almost like I hate using this term because one, I feel pretentious too. I feel like I don't know. I feel like something you'll you'll get what I mean. But the more you learn about something, it's almost like the wider your spectrum uh, is for your standards of movies, right? So hear hear me out. When I was a teenager, before I got into film, my spectrum, and I'm keeping my hands for the listeners really close, but my spectrum was here, my emotional spectrum for a movie, right? If it got to this point, like to the top of my spectrum, that was an emotional experience for me in a movie, and it blew my mind, right? And then I start watching movies like, I remember when I first saw the movie Dancer in the Dark. I don't know if you've seen that, but that broadened my spectrum that wrecked me dude okay like like that movie wrecked me and i started watching these other movies that were so powerful and they were like expanding that spectrum right to where my spectrum is now much larger 
but the movies I watched as a teenager are still at that original spectrum. They're still low. Now they're below half my spectrum, if that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? And they're not as powerful. It doesn't mean I don't like them, right? It just means I found better things that have kind of developed a standard based on where I am in life watching movies, right? And so you don't have to not like something just because you find out, like, you know, he continues to do Mexican standoffs in every movie. That can be badass because, like you said, it's the journey, right? How do we get yeah. to this Mexican standoff? Exactly. I don't care. You know? <laughs> um, but so all that to say, though, all that to say, I'm I, I'm a Tarantino fan. Um, I'll talk about my experience with Tarantino a little more in terms of the ranking, and I will give you my ranking as well. Um, but I'm curious if you had to rank them. Okay. And, and I typically put Kill Bill as one movie. You can do one and two separately if you want to. That'd be 10 movies if so. I did. Um, but I usually keep them together. So it's it's up to you. Um, but I'm curious what you're thinking. Again, just, today's ranking. This exactly. is Rick's today ranking. Okay. Yeah. When, when the anniversary of all the films happened like uh, about a year and a half or two years ago, there I know I listened to a handful of different uh, podcasts based around ranking the movies. I think it was when uh, Hollywood just came out. And I like stressed over my ranking just through a text message with two other guys. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm glad that I have no recollection of what I put. But this is a conversation that comes up between, you know, different groups of friends of mine pretty often. But I just quickly, um, while you were talking, I was paying attention, <laughs> but I did quickly make make a little bit of a list. Sure. So and I did put Kill Bill one and two separately. Totally fair. Totally fair. All right. I see them as one. I literally can't watch one without the other. And though they were intended to be one movie, but the studios essentially made him like split them up. Um, I, I just I can't like he even considers them both of them his like fourth film. You know what yes. I mean? But in reality, they were released two different times. They both have two different box office records. You know what I mean? So both are completely fair. But just as my own justification, go for it. The reason why I have them separate is because that might have been the, I don't know about the peak of my Tarantino fandom, but that was the first time I was able to go to a Tarantino movie in a theater and have months and months of buildup yeah. because everything had been out prior. So even though they were released close together, to me it felt like forever. And I had gone to the theater to see the one, got the DVD the day it came out, watched it so many times leading up to when the second one came out. Same thing now, I won't, most likely, I'm not going to put on one without watching the other. But to be honest, I have a hard time watching anything that's even remotely franchise or related in context without the entire thing. And sometimes that's a curse. With some of these movies, I can do that with. But most likely, if I'm like, oh, I really feel like watching you know, one of the probably first four Tarantino movies, most likely I'm going to say, well, I might as well just start at the beginning and watch them all in order. Which is like <laughs> yeah. really a crazy person thing to do, and it makes it really difficult to watch wrestling because if it's like, oh, I really want to watch, you know, uh, SummerSlam '89, it's like, well, then I at least have to go back to you know WrestleMania three because that's when kind of like a big reboot, and then I'll leave myself up to it. Real stupid. Okay, do you want me to go in number one down? As a, well, yeah, I'll do. How that. about the this? Other- we'll do we'll do reverse order. All right, okay. and yes. and I want you to do your first two because I only have nine. You have ten. So do okay. your first two, and we'll go back and forth real quick, and then we can talk about it. All right. Okay. So my number ten is Death Proof. Okay. Now, it like it hurts my feelings saying that that's number ten anything because it's yeah. so 
so good. Yep. You know, even if I was like, what are your top 10 movies of all time? If Death Proof was number 10, it, was your, it would not be. It wouldn't be in the top 10. But saying it out loud, I feel like I'm doing it a disservice because I, I think it's that that good. Yeah, I um, understand. Same thing. Uh, I was in San Diego with my childhood friend, Subterfuge friend, John Moore, who was playing in This Is Hell at the time. Ed Lee, who played in Subterfuge, also obviously a huge Tarantino fan, lived in San Diego. We went to see Death Proof and Planet Terror, the double feature, after yep. the show. Um, so super cool experience. Um, it's like hard to find on streaming, which makes it more gratifying when you do find it and watch it. I think I probably bought it on Vudu, so I own it now at this point anyway. But underrated, in my opinion, because like, oh, it's part of the double feature. It's a throwaway. It's like, you know, the... Um, that 70s exploitation style, blah, blah, blah. But, dude, s- such a, a mindfuck of the, okay, it's a 70s movie. It's based in the 70s, everything about it. Oh, flip phone, text messaging, as well as text messaging with spelling errors and stuff. Love it. So mm-hmm. Death Proof would be my number 10. Yeah. But to keep actually, up with- so well, real quick, I'm actually just going to let you go, and then I'll give you mine because now I just want to talk uh, briefly and just say that, um, and I, we don't have to talk about it fully, but I do want to add something to what you just said about Death Proof. Um, this is a movie that I saw in uh, the Grindhouse double feature as well, and whenever you have something as fun and crazy as Rodriguez's Planet Terror, and then you go into something a bit more um, kind of classic, kind of car mm-hmm. uh, Australian style horror movie. Um, like a uh, osploitation type thing, uh, dude, it's it, that's a hard sell. And so whenever you've already sat through two and a half hours or something or, or two hours or whatever of another movie and these like little trailers in between that they made. For yeah. The movie, yeah. And then you start death proof, man. I was actually really disappointed. And then I watched it again years later. It's in 2009, I believe. Um, just thinking of where I was in life there. And I remember watching it and being blown the fuck away. And I'll tell you why when I get there, but continue. Number nine. I, I will real quick. Yeah. Having to follow Planet Terror, even if you didn't like Planet Terror, which I did, but even if you didn't like it, it's just go, 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 go. Yeah. Nonstop. Robert Rodriguez explosions and everything. The whole ball of wax, every gimmick that Rodriguez has. Is, yep. And more is thrown into that. And then following with Death Proof, which on its own, it's not slow at all. But in comparison, in comparison what a departure. Man. But at the same time, dude, that is like a headline band taking out an opening band that they know has the possibility of wiping the floor with them. Is the up and coming band that could, you know, after this tour, this is the last Dude. tour that they're going to open. They're going to be headlining their own bands yep. and being unafraid of doing that. Like bands that do that, I have so much respect for. And bands that do that are the ones that succeed as opposed to the bands that, well, I don't want to be shown up. I'm a little bit of afraid. Like, uh, yep. let's take out a band that's going to buy on and pay for our bus. And uh, who gives a shit if the show sucks because everyone's here to see us anyway? Nope. So Tarantino is uh, a headliner with no fear. <laughs> so my number nine is Hateful Eight, which, okay. again, I didn't see that in the theater. Um, I think I was on tour. 
you know, but an extinction AD tour back at that time, if I remember correctly, is just grind, grind, grind. So there's no time to do yeah. anything fun. There's no money. To, <laughs> there's no money to go around and there's no <laughs> sleeping to be had. So I didn't see that until I got back home and same thing, waited till it got on uh, Voodoo and I bought it on Voodoo and all of the feedback Oh, it's too long. There's too much talking. There's not enough action. Like, have you ever seen a Tarantino movie? A, have you ever seen a Tarantino movie? Two and D, have you ever seen a Tarantino movie? Like, yeah. what are you expecting? But I was like, you know, it's probably going to be really slow or really long. Is is the only thing I took into um, consideration when I was watching it on first watch. And when it was over, I was like, wait a minute. I thought this movie was really long. And I thought this movie was supposed to be boring and plotting. What are you talking about? That movie is so cool. Same thing. It's a bunch of the, uh, I don't want to even say bells and whistles because it's it's not. And it's not even the tricks. It's like a, I, this isn't supposed to be a review. Hey, if you want to watch this movie, it's like. No, this. no, no. We do it. Do it. Do it. This is good. Yeah. But I mean, it's a stripped down version because, hey, you've seen what I could do with all the bells and whistles. This is the most stripped down of a Tarantino movie. It's it's more than, in my opinion, any of the other movies. Here is dialogue by characters. And I guess if you've never seen one of his movies before, you don't really know what's going on. If you haven't seen any of his movies before, I don't Was that 2015? Somewhere around there. I was 14? trying to remember when it was. I can actually confirm that with you. It was uh, yeah twenty yeah twenty fifteen yep, um, and I saw it that year too because I was I was doing reviews and stuff at the time. This is my number nine actually my my okay my least. So we are going to now start jumping back and forth because I'll continue with you on this train here. Um, but continue. Just all it is is characterization and character development and uh, somewhat subtle handfuls of stories. It is to me it's perfect every one of those characters is like a perfect character whether you're supposed to feel one way or another about them but the absolute brilliance is i feel like you love and hate every one of those characters equally (laughs) throughout the entire movie and you root for and against those characters back and forth because it's it in that way, it's so realistic. There's no good guy. There's no bad guy. Or they're all bad guys. But some of them are, I don't want to say less. Some of them are just a little more endearing than others. And sometimes, you know, by the end of the movie, you're kind of shocked by, oh, yes, this guy still is shitty. But he was way less than I thought. And, oh, man, we're, I'll just bring this up now. Sure. Every time I see Samuel Jackson do anything, it always triggers in my head. He's old as hell, and I hope he lives forever, but he probably isn't. And man, Samuel Jackson dying is going to have a response with me probably the same way when Ultimate Warrior died and the same way when Ric Flair dies. But he'll probably outlive uh, Ric Flair. (laughs) He'll probably outlive (laughs) Ric Flair too. Yeah. Real quick, a quick side note. We're not going to talk about it here, but did you see Ric Flair's last match? I did. We're, we're I, talking I about that most... after we stop recording. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I got to ask you about that. But anyways, dude, uh, Sam Jackson is like in his 70s, dude. And I had no fucking clue because the dude looks like 
60 tops to me. You know what I mean? Tops. Like, yeah, like it's crazy. Um, and he's still so good. Um, so yeah, uh, the hateful eight, it's my number nine and, and it's, it's my least favorite though. I like all of them, like mm-hmm. you said. So the least favorite doesn't really mean a whole lot. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So Tarantino is a huge fan of really old B Westerns. So he likes uh, filmmakers like Bud Bedecker, for example, and he likes some Anthony Mann stuff, which Anthony Mann did a lot of like A-list Westerns as well. But um, even thinking of something like um, um, Delmer Davies, who did the original 310 to Yuma, uh, if you watch 310 to Yuma, for example, and I'm not comparing the two of these movies, but if you if you were to watch 310 to Yuma, uh, it is literally um, like a very small handful of locations. Granted, you get the vast expanse of the Western landscape. But they're only in a very few locations, one of which is literally in a hotel room uh, for like 30 minutes or something. Right. And it's what is it? It's all talking. That's what it is. Yeah. And he loves this. He loves talking, building all of the tension through conversation, knowing when to let people, the viewer, you, the viewer, know when something is happening and when it's not. For example, um, whenever. uh you know, one care. So the uh, the poison in in the pot, right? Uh, it's the classic uh, Hitchcock. Um, the family is sitting around a dinner table, and there's a bomb underneath, and we know that, but the family doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. So he takes this like kind of classic uh, Hitchcock style of building tension. He's a master. I have to give him credit for this. He's a master at building tension. Um, with like what seems like nothing take for example and we'll get there in glorious bastards opening scene uh uh colonel londa talking to the french farmer and it goes on for like 20 minutes and about 10 minutes in you do start to feel yourself getting pulled weighed down a bit because there's a lot of dialogue and but then what does he do pans the camera down and you see the jews hiding under the floor and then instantly adrenaline right and you're like Mm -hmm. oh fuck He's so good at just a puppet master with his oh, writing. Yeah. Like he'll just when he knows when you're gonna start to lull and he's gonna bring you back, right? And and he does that, I think, in um The Hateful Eight. Uh the Hateful Eight, I love Westerns too. And you can see a lot of different types of Westerns that he's bringing into this. Uh for me, this felt the least like when I finished watching it, I was like kind of like taken aback by how like ridiculous it gets at the end which is fun <laughs> yeah. like i had a great time i had a really fun time watching it but i was just like the fuck did he just make because <laughs> like, it was just it just seemed so weird it was like he could do anything at that point so he's like fuck it i'm just gonna make some weird shit and make it a western um you know it was uh, a strange and um the hateful eight script had leaked so I actually read the first 30 minutes, like the 30 page, like first act, basically, you know what I <laughs> yeah. mean? Um, uh, because at the time I was in uh, studying film in school. So my friends were like, dude, we got the hateful late script mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, so, you know, I, I read a little of it just to see what it was about, uh, which did not help at all. Like when I watched the movie, it yep. was like it was so it takes such a turn by the end. But I do love that uh, Kurt Russell does his best John Wayne impression, essentially the whole movie. You know what I mean? It's like um, he's just like a really ridiculous character, but they're all great. And um there's just something about this movie I don't connect with, but I have a fun time watching it. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. 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 The stagecoach scene 
essentially the the beginning of the movie yeah. is just I mean that's by far my favorite scene of the movie um with the letter from Lincoln and just you know coming across Samuel Jackson and his uh interaction with Kurt Russell is like I mean that's a such a natural pairing that once it happens it's like how has this not happened prior yeah um and their interaction through the whole movie is is just probably my favorite thing. Now, do you think that the letter, the Lincoln letter, is it real or is it not? Because I know we <laughs> all know at the end of the movie, it's like, shit, of course it's not real. But yeah. that doesn't mean and, – and this is where he – and we're, I'm going to actually get this to this with my next pick also. Sure. The unreliable – narrator yeah is like you know a, a a trope in movies and and media uh but it's something that i haven't been made aware of consciously until like the past maybe two years i had never considered it and i never yeah. considered it the on first couple of watches of this movie and then through you know somebody bring that up to me um actually through a marvel movie and then it <laughs> yeah. made me rethink watching other movies so at that point he might be full of shit in the end when he says this isn't actually the letter because he's rubbing it in everybody else's face at that point where like you know what fuck these people this is and i'm keeping it to myself that this actually is a real letter but then on the other hand like of course it's not actually a lincoln letter it's like <laughs> yeah so no that's, I, I, that's like a big takeaway so what do you think as far as that goes for, at, at the as soon as he pulled that out at first i was like fuck that's crazy but almost instantly i was like there's no way this is real like I, just from the beginning but what but this is why it was still great because it, it ultimately didn't matter mm -hmm. it's the power that he holds just having something that he gives meaning to. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's and like, everybody it else gives meaning to it too. The fact yeah. that there was rumors that he had this letter. So that's almost like the introduction. You know, oh, I I kind of know you even though I don't know you. Oh, you're the one who knows Lincoln. And it's like that's it's such a weird thing to even think to put in the movie to begin with. Yeah. But all right, so so let's let's go on to your number eight. Let's do number eight now. Number eight, I think, is probably going to change drastically in the future, but just because I've only seen it twice at this point is um, Hollywood. Um, it's crazy because Hollywood is my number eight as well. <laughs> okay, all right. Is it a similar thing because it's kind of new-ish? No, no. I have my own feelings. I want to hear yours first, though, and then I'll give you mine. Okay, so it I didn't see this in the theater. It just kind of came and went, and then one of my friends is like, dude, you still haven't seen that? I was like, honestly, I keep forgetting that that was um, a thing. Tarantino, yeah, yeah. So it's like, yo, go home and watch that today. What are you doing? So I did it. And then before I put it on, I was like, oh, man, I, I'm glad I haven't been giving this thought so much because my expectations would be like through the roof. But of course, as I'm going to, you know, going home from work and about to put it on, my expectations are going through the roof. Just yeah, also yeah. because the I tried to stay away from spoilers so I didn't really read any reviews, but every time someone would be like, did you watch this yet? I'd be like, oh, no, I forgot. I'm like, oh, you got to watch it. It's so good. Anyway, expectations through the roof. 15, 20 minutes in, I already was like, guaranteed this is going to be really high up on my list once I'm done with this. And 
I gave it some time after completing it the first time before I went back to it. And it was one of those movies that like, not 24 seven, but pretty often just like occupied my thoughts. And yeah. it's like, when that happens, like, Oh, it happened again. It did, especially a Tarantino movie it did it yeah. again. But again, the unreliable narrator where I had already been privy to this um, concept now watching this and you watch it and um, Brad Pitt's character is like, yo, of course, every Brad Pitt character is going to be like the coolest guy there is. But at the <laughs> end of the movie, you're like, yo, that is he's even like cooler in this movie than he was in Inglorious Bastards. And then, you know, thinking about the narrator thing. And then watching it again, especially the um, <laughs> the Bruce Lee story. Yeah. Like, yo, that was a whole controversy. Dude, yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. But yeah, go ahead. It's like, oh. He's full of shit. Every time he tells a story, he's full of shit. Uh, and in that way, instead of, oh, that character's not as cool. It's like, nope, because it's a movie character and not a real person, because every real person that I talk to who tells these hero stories are always so transparently full of shit, and I hate them for it. It made me like his character more, especially because his loyalty to uh, Leo's character. Yeah. It's like... Even with all these, um, I don't want to say lies, but like half-truths that he kind of believes himself and how he props himself up, the most important thing to him yeah. <laughs> is his loyalty to his friends and his dog. Yeah. As like, And then throw in every other single thing about this movie, um, as well as the okay ninth official movie like at some point this guy's gonna lose it like he's not gonna continue delivering banger after banger in my opinion and it's another another banger as well as a different twist on the rewriting of history yeah is is so cool and as well as the twist isn't like a huge huge world changing twist it's like such a kind of niche of a twist yeah. So man, let's just well, it's, it, he does the exact same thing that he does in Inglorious Bastards with Hitler, where uh, the bastards just literally unload a machine gun in his face and you just see it blowing up, you know. And uh, and I the agree, theater. but yeah. the end result of that is the same. Now Americans win the war. Yeah, where yeah. this is like, oh well, yeah, this is different. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, th- this this uh, famous, you know, murder, suicide, all this stuff. Like, oh, this chick lives. Like, oh, that who knows what like this life would have been. So like yeah. now in the Tarantino world with um uh Harley Quinn <laughs> Harley Quinn being alive. Harley Quinn. <laughs> it's like, oh that's Sharon that's, Tate played yeah, by Margot Robbie, yeah. That's that's crazy, you know. That's why um Yeah. Maybe it would have been better if she didn't survive because the DC movies might have, you know, not been in this terrible spiral. <laughs> yeah it, so my feelings um about once upon a time uh in hollywood the reason it's above the hateful eight because i have similar feelings about both where there's nothing in the movie either movie that does one of two things that either i connect with on some level or that hype me the fuck up right like like that something that that something uh dude uh kill bill volume two 
whenever when uh, the bride gets buried alive. That whole sequence with Pi May, her breaking back through, all before that, her talking to Bud and Bud putting the pepper spray right in her eye. You know what I mean? Like, dude, just all of that is so fucking brilliantly written and executed. Same thing goes for uh, Inglorious Bastards. Like, name a fucking dialogue sequence in that, and that's one, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's That's the kind of stuff. No, there was none of that in either one of those movies that really got me. There's some good ones. Don't get me wrong. And I like these movies. Like I said, I like them all. But um, yeah, this one, um, I actually appreciate uh, just kind of as a film more. Mm-hmm. And that's about the only reason I like it more. <laughs> I rated them the same, actually, uh, like the same ratings <laughs> for both movies. But um, but yeah, there's something about this, man. When I first heard Tarantino was going to do a it was called on IMDb a biopic about the Charlie or about the Manson murders or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, I cannot wait to see a Tarantino biopic. Someone doing like a historical event, but it'd be in Tarantino universe, right, where it's just kind of like a little off. Everyone talks a little too cool. You know what I mean? Like feet, you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> like there's just there's just gonna be stuff yeah. around, right? Um, and and when it wasn't that, I was fine. But what I wasn't fine with is what I was left with, though, was just a little underwhelming for me. I still liked it, but like you, I was pretty hyped about this as well. And uh, so I've seen this twice. Also, I saw it in theaters, and then I showed my buddy Riley. Uh, he came to visit me, and we watched this because he hadn't seen it. Because even though. He's far more of a critic than Tarant- of Tarantino than I am. Um, he loves to see the new movies. Same thing with MCU. Mm-hmm. He's a huge, harsh critic, but he wants to see them all. Like because we grew up yeah. reading the comics and stuff. Why would like? And we're already like thirty movies deep. Like why wouldn't we just yeah. watch yep. one more You're to stuck. keep up? You know. <laughs> like, um, but anyway. So uh, I think Leonardo DiCaprio does great. Rick Dalton is like a fun character. There are a few sequences of his I like. But I'm I'm not one of those guys uh, that just let me rephrase. There are some people that just love movies because they love seeing movies about movie making. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And and honestly, I like. I would like those scenes like where Rick Dalton's acting, you know, and I would like them exclusively. But by the end of the movie, I was like, man, it almost doesn't feel like a whole movie to me. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I watched a bunch of shorts or something. (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. I'm not articulating well. The point is, something didn't click with me. And then, to my surprise, people start talking about this being the best film of the year at that time. And I'm like, what did I miss? So then that's when I was like, (laughs) my buddy came to visit. I'm like, we have to watch this because I missed something. Like, I don't understand. Nope. Felt the exact same way. Had a great time watching it. But just... I'm just like, but I don't think this is like a great film. It's just fun to watch. Like I have a good time. And that's kind of where I sat with uh, Once Upon a Time uh, in Hollywood. Those two were like very easy for me to actually make my least favorites, even though I like them. Um, but we'll, we'll get we'll get back to one that you've already brought up here in a second. But why don't you tell us what your number seven is? So my number seven, I have Kill Bill 2. I explain why I view them differently. Sure. Kill Bill 2 not being in one film with Kill Bill 1 almost unfairly and I told you my whole build up towards Kill Bill 1 yeah. I mean how do you follow something of that nature again have to go back to it because my life is based around it um, 
not every single year, but almost every single year, um, the Tuesday after WrestleMania, I have a little bit of burnout. I have that WrestleMania burnout, which, you know, I, I'm still going to watch SmackDown on Friday because I need to know, oh, well, they're restarting all this stuff. By the following Monday, I'm going to watch. I'm, I'm always going to watch regardless, but I might let them build up in the DVR a little bit and be okay with not reading up on the internet because I need sure. a little bit of a break. Sometimes the exact opposite, you know, Oh, it's so good. I'm, I'm, I'm more psyched and it keeps going. And you know, yeah. I might go an entire year without any wrestling burnout. I might have gotten, I don't even want to say burnout from kill bill one, but the expectation at that point, because there was so much buildup for kill bill one, it delivered so hard to me and I couldn't wait for the next one to come out. How do you possibly meet that expectation? Plus, it, it, it does. The, it did sign a check that it couldn't cash in terms of people expected another gore, like a gore bath, you know, of blood, um, whatever that means. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's all samurai and 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 kung fu shit. You know what I'm Which, saying? Like, but then you also get like this weird. Um, like French New Wave vibe at times, and you you know there's just like these little things, um, and then two is not those at all. It's a western. There is kung fu in it, of course, um, because of Pai Mei, more so in that movie. Um, and but it's like all the genres they almost don't return, minus using the Hanzo swords and stuff, and still fighting like that. There are really no big fights into. Uh, she pulls out Ellie Driver's eye, uh, the other eye. She. Uh, kills bill with the with the five finger death punch or whatever <laughs> whatever the whatever the fuck the finger of death whatever you know the, 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 um, yeah she kills him with the finger poke of doom yeah and so so there are no like big battles bud uh uh, uh doesn't she doesn't even kill bud he gets killed by a snake uh that ellie driver puts in his money so um like there you don't there are no battles like that do you get what i'm saying like there oh, are no yeah yeah so and, so on that level, just real quick, on that level, like if you watch one and the whole thing, much like we talked about with Rodriguez's Planet Terror, boom, 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 boom. Like Kill Bill Volume 1 is going, 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 going. And then you get to two and all of the influences in the last half. If you look at it as a whole movie, it makes a lot of sense that at yes. that point it would slow down. But you know what? They weren't presented as one movie. They were presented as two. So what happens is you get a much more methodical uh, much more, um, much differently paced movie, right? That does not have the boom, 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 boom. Now they're trying to focus more on the bride and they're trying to focus more on character development and do these other things. And quite frankly, I can see how that could leave some people cold. Like all I'm saying is making your point. It makes a lot of sense that people watch these two separately and be underwhelmed by two. I get it. And, and I, I hate to even use the word underwhelmed because it's almost like disrespecting it in a way because I think if this was just a continuation in style where it was essentially well, – I mean it is Kill Bill 2. But if it was Kill Bill 1 Part 2, you know, like, oh yeah, it obviously seems like one movie filmed at the same time then just split into two and it was an action fest. Honestly, it might be lower on my list because of that. You know, I like all the differences in it. Um, the only maybe nitpick that I have with this is the final, final 
the the grand finish even in tone oh i'm just like of course the whole time like her kid is the motivation you know first because it's my dead kid now it's my living kid all this yeah. stuff but the super super sitcom up oh, summed it all up you know everything you know we're so happy we're watching cartoons I don't I don't love that. I don't dislike it. I on paper, I have no problem with it. In execution, a little too oh now this just cute little baby smiling, doesn't care that her dad raised her dead as hell, only knows her mom through a, a picture and watched um Shogun Decapitators once and took off or what did they watch shogun um shogun assassin yeah, shogun yeah. Assassins. the first band i was ever in that actually played real music the name of the band was the shogun decapitators nice um, but you know like i said never gonna watch kill bill one without watching kill bill two uh at least the next day yeah. but uh you know there's my my justification for saying sure. anything negative about one of my favorite movies no 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 it's fine it's fine um i'm 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 very open to uh, criticisms of these things. I think all of them uh, could arguably have criticisms, but uh, I love them. I I mean, we'll, we'll get into my feelings on Kill Bill when I get there, but um, uh, yeah, so I'm going to come back to that one. I'm going to put a pin in that one. Um, I'm going to tell you my number seven is Death Proof because you already talked about it, and I, I put this above Hateful Eight and, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood um, because though I don't necessarily think it's a better film all around there's one sequence in it remember when i said that the hateful eight and once upon a time in hollywood they don't have any moment where i'm just like oh like that's the you met my my peak you know what i mean like you took me to the peak right um the sequence where uh zoe bell who's one of the uh, she's the australian or new zealand whichever um uh stunt person in the movie um, playing herself and she's the one that goes on the front of the car for ship's mast where she's on the car um, and when I watched an interview with them and with Tarantino and they said that the cars like the old exploitation, like uh, the Australian like exploitation horror movies and car movies and stuff of the 80s that these people would go fucking 90 miles an hour and really do this shit and Tarantino <laughs> said she was going she's a trained I mean she was the bride, she was Uma Thurman's uh, mm -hmm. stunt person in, in Kill Bill. She's a trained stunt person, and she was going 90 miles an hour in a car, a muscle car or whatever, on the hood. And at one point, she's not holding on to anything. I can't watch that movie and not get so stressed out. Yep. yep. It's like watching uh, like a Darby Allen match. And you're like, I know he's going to kill himself at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and it's like I'm watching that sequence and I'm like, fuck, like she's going to kill herself. Like she's going to go. Now, of course, I know that's not going to happen, but it fools me every time I get so tense yep. watching that sequence. And that is one of those moments. Um, otherwise, it's just like a really fun move. Like, it's just a fun movie. Right. I mean, they're literally parodying. Or, or, or maybe paying homage to however you want to look at it. Movies that are kind of just bad movies that are fun yeah yeah, <laughs> like, yeah you know what i mean so it's like that's what it is but but it does have a couple of moments that are that all of the i also appreciate that he hired stunt people that are largely 
losing work because of CGI, and he had them flip cars, yeah. just like they did in the 80s Australian uh, horror movies, because it's very much like an 80s Australian thing, uh, Death Proof is. And uh, if you haven't seen the, the movie Not Quite Hollywood, it's a documentary about uh, exploitation movies, both uh, sexploitation movies. Uh, they have like a whole car genre almost, you know, um, and horror movies. They cover it all. You should watch it. This is for listeners, but you also, Rick, if you haven't seen Not Quite Hollywood, it's a cool doc that uh, um, will just show you a bunch of cool shit. And then you'll you'll be like, oh. I see what Tarantino's doing here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's very, very much, uh, very much that, um, in my opinion. But, uh, anyways, I, I was, uh, I was a fan of death proof after my second viewing, uh, in theaters, I was a little underwhelmed, but when I saw it again and I, again, I felt like I just got it at that point. Mm-hmm. I got yeah. all of these little things that I didn't pick up on because I was so enamored with how disgusting and bizarre planet terror was to watch in yeah. theaters. You know what I mean? And then you see this movie uh, that's basically just like flipping a bunch of cars and stuff. You know what I mean? Like and killing people while you're doing killing people with a car. Uh, basically, I don't know. Um, so that that's my number seven. Um, it's a it's a fairly solid number seven for me. Um, but I feel like after Death Proof, I like dramatically start to like the movies more. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, the rest of the list is very very difficult. The rest of the list is what makes it so yeah. Um, Give me your number six, man. Makes it so good to be like, well, I could just say whatever now because it doesn't really matter in real life. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. This exists forever. It's just how I feel today. So this is really, really hard. But number six, Inglorious Bastards. Um, and I have to preface everything for some reason. Okay. Just okay. As, as if I'm like offending this movie. You are talking to a prefacer. Yeah. So it's, okay. <laughs> it's only... Because of like legacy, as far as the personal feelings built up to going to see and how it was introduced to all the other ones, that this one's not higher. But I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is like a perfect film, in my in my opinion, as a, a not like film critic, just like a dude who likes movies. Yeah, no, I understand. Movies for guys who like movies. Was that a TV show? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, the ad for like. I don't know. I can't remember what show. What is that? I'm going to look it up. I have to find out. But continue. It is a thing. Going to watch this movie like, hey, this is like a remake of some old movie, apparently. But whatever. Like, I don't know. That doesn't seem to make sense. But and then you find out like, no, we kind of took the title, blah, blah, blah. And it's based around um, World War Two. It's going to be a fun time. Okay, you go to see it like that whole opening sequence, which, you know, was it three different languages just in that opening yeah, it's, sequence? It's the fucking greatest thing ever um, is what you're trying to think of. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Dude, the tension in that and more and more as I get older. So thankfully, I wasn't at the level I'm at now when I first saw this in the theater. But dude, I have a hard time with like stress in movies now. Like um, le- <laughs> last night. Me and my fiance put on School of Rock, yep. which is a movie she's been wanting to watch again. Like, so, oh, I had this song in my head. We got to watch this movie. I'm like, I'll watch it. And last time I went to watch it, I think it took a while to find a place where it was streaming. And then she fell asleep right away. Can well, I ask you I, a question before you keep yes. going? Is she on TikTok? Um, she will watch it. Yes. Okay. Because uh, on TikTok, I've noticed that people have been using audio. I think from that's why, School of Rock. That's why it got into her head. 
Yeah, I think it probably did because I've been thinking the same thing. <laughs> but go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So I had never seen this movie. I know about the movie, never seen the movie. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm more than happy to watch it. I think Jack Black is funny and, you know, I like guitars. So, hey, it should be cool. Yeah. I got stressed out so early in this movie knowing, oh, my God, this whole thing's leading towards um, he's lying about his who he is. He's pretending to be his roommate to be a teacher using his name. He's going to get caught. Plus he's working with these kids and he's going to get caught not being who he is. And also he's not actually the teacher and this band's going to suck when they finally get to play because that's what happens. And I'm stressed out. So anybody who's seen that movie before, like, you know, that is not a movie you're supposed to stress out about. So I'm so glad that I'm not seeing glorious bastard for the first time now, because like you said, the first 20 minutes is like, what is a more stressful movie to watch? Now that you know it, you enjoy the stress and you enjoy the tension. And the acting is like, yo, who created these people? And then finding out, um, what is Hans's real name? It's uh, Christoph Waltz. Jesus. A dude that had been acting for years and years and then just breaks out as a superstar after this, yes. man. So finding out that, like, yo, this is like a – like a journeyman at best. And then this performance, like, you know, this is the greatest actor I've I've ever seen in my life. Um, And then also, um, what is, uh, dude, I'm the worst. I'm the, no, no, no. I already, you know, even this cast is mind blowing. And then even, you know, Christoph Waltz and then uh, Baron Zemo, who also was like, I don't know who this guy is. He's amazing. And then the mixture of brutality and comedy, which is a Tarantino staple, but it's like, yeah. hey, I didn't hit my peak yet. And then this movie comes out like, oh, my God. Um, it's just – it's all like this unbelievable masterpiece of a movie. Every time I watch this movie, I always think, oh, I got to put this one higher up. In my list, and oh, this is like one of the best movies that I've you know ever seen. Um, I I don't think I could come up with any negative thing to say about this movie. And mm-hmm. if I was on my you know uh, wrestling rambling soapbox, I could just talk about this movie in praise for an hour. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I will have a nitpick later. But for the most part, I agree with you. We'll, we'll talk about it whenever I get to it um, on that level. But um, I'll just tell you what my number six. I love that this turned into a legit just list episode, which I love. Um, <laughs> number six for me is Jackie Brown, which was difficult because I think Jackie Brown actually is a really great film. It just I think for a lot of people doesn't feel as much like the Tarantino they now know. So if somebody didn't grow up with Tarantino like you did and like. I kind of did. Uh, I came in a little late. Again, I came in right before Kill Bill Volume 1 came out. Uh, so, uh, But I went back and watched them and then kind of followed through. And I feel like, um, you know, if you watch something like Django Unchained and then you watch Jackie Brown, that's two very different vibes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, uh, but uh, Jackie Brown, I think, is is great. Um, I it's slower, I think, than Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, which kind of, I think, turns some people away. Um, but it's methodical and intentional in a way that uh, when I watch 
Jackie Brown, I think of um, I, I gotta I gotta look up some names real quick because I'm gonna I'm like spacing names. Oh, you don't um, want to just refer to everybody by the other movies you like them in, like I've been doing <laughs> the entire show. <laughs> yeah. So Foxy Brown, uh, no, um, uh, Pam Greer is uh, is from like the black exploitation movement. You know what I mean? In the seventies. You have Robert Robert De Niro playing the least Robert De Niro character ever, but also somehow perfectly Robert De Niro. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Um, oh God, you know, he is absolutely mind blowing in this movie. And I remember watching uh, Awakenings. And dude, after I didn't that see movie, that until last year, by the way. Oh, <laughs> it's so good. Wow, man! After that movie was over, and I was young, being like, "Oh, wait a minute." That's the actor from other movies prior. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't think you could do that. And then, you know, as you get older, then seeing this, like, again, you know, Tarantino opened me up to, oh, actors don't just play similar characters over and over again. And any, obviously, I've seen things with people playing different characters, but really, really paying attention to that, you know, um, I just jump ahead real quick. Um, and I'll go in and out, so I'm not ruining anything. But John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, like, oh yeah, that's not the same guy from. Um, that's not Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> that's not Saturday Night Fever. Because um, even like uh, Saturday Night Fever and um, in Greece, they're not the same character. But I mean, it's not really so. It's like, oh well, the '70s version and the '50s version, and then even like, look who's talking, like. Oh, well, in all actuality, what? That's like the late 80s version. In some or early 90s. In all actuality, like, I get it. And even Vinnie Barbarino, which I knew him from Welcome Back, Hotter. Like, yeah, I, I get it. And even though, which we'll get to in Pulp Fiction, he kind of embodies a little bit of all of those characters I just mentioned. Like, yo, that's, that, in the other way, like, just the fact that he's he's saying fuck and, like, he's going to pick up a gun and, and all this and he's going to do, yeah. you know, not disco drugs, even though it kind of does disco drugs anyway. Anyway, but dude, <laughs> De Niro in ugh, like it, Brown, yeah. it's it's insane. And that goes with the, the rest of the cast. But go on. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, you're right. And and uh, a, a lot of times whenever studios get a hold of actors, they want them to play typecast. Think of Tom Cruise, for example, who's done a ton of different stuff in his throughout his career. Uh, but then you watch him in a lot of those movies, uh, especially newer movies, whether it's the newer Mission Impossible movies. I'm not talking down about these. I'm just saying, making a point uh, that uh, he acts like the same character in like so many movies. You know, even like uh, the new Top Gun. It's like, oh, OK, cool. You're like the same guy you're in in all of these other movies, you know, uh, and that's fine. That's that's what typecasting is. And and it's the way that you make money. Right. Yeah. Because people you make set an expectation. Tons. And then the studio sets an expectation. This is what you're going to get from it. And then once they deliver that, people go to see it. But that's why I also get really excited when some of these filmmakers do like independent films Mm -hmm. and they have like a character. Pulp Fiction was an independent film. And so Tarantino and not Tarantino, sorry, Travolta and Sam Jackson and all those guys come in and they're playing characters unlike they've ever played before. Um, and in Jackie Brown, it's it's, uh, it's no different. Uh, you have a, a huge cast. I mean, Michael Keaton's in this. And he's playing a very. What's funny is he's playing like the most Michael Keaton character he's ever played. You know, like <laughs> Tarantino was like, turn yourself up to ten, 
and do this. And I think it's great because it's almost like a caricature performance by Michael Keaton. But it's also like so awesome. Uh, De Niro is great, too, because he's so reserved. I mean, think think of him from like Goodfellas. That would have been um, what? Uh, when did this come out? Ninety seven. So seven years prior, or Casino in ninety five. Even you know he's playing. Uh, Jackie he's Brown's like, ninety seven. In my in my mind, Jackie Brown's like ninety five. I know that. Well, that's wow. what I just had to wrestle with until I looked on IMDb. But um, but yeah, uh, dude, Chris Tucker's in this. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. And Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what a and fucking out, but yeah. And then Robert Forster, who was an older late 60s 70s early 80s kind of actor career died for all intents and purposes then tarantino brings him back dude started his whole career again after like throughout the 2000s especially after this movie which tarantino did that with several people kurt yeah. russell travolta and so on i mean he sam jackson had been in a lot of stuff but you know pulp fiction kind of made that dude these other guys had been made by other movies mm-hmm. and now had like kind of redid their thing um yeah, and, and you even have, like, uh, Sid Haig, who is the, uh, I, I got to remember what the dude's name is, um, Captain Spaulding in, like, House of a Thousand Corpses, and, and uh, what's the other one, um, uh, what's the other, what's the, like, sequel to, oh, uh, The Devil's Rejects, you know, uh, he's, like, the clown guy or whatever, and it's like, dude, that dude was even in Jackie Brown, I don't expect anyone to remember him in it, but my point is, he was in it, it's just like, what a wacky cast this movie has uh, but i think jackie brown's great and w- like years later jackie brown always was like the lesser film right when it came out because dude this followed up pulp fiction the so, international yes. sensation okay you're th- following any film like that that you make it is going to be uh, like perceived as lesser okay but the thing is like after 15 years or so uh, people started talking about Jackie Brown maybe being his best film, which I do not agree with. Clearly, it is my number six, but I think there's something to say about that. I think it has a lot of merits. All right, that was my conversation with Rick Jimenez, at least part one of that conversation. Uh, again, Extinction AD. Uh, definitely go check out their new record. It is called Culture of Violence. You can find it on uh, Spotify, iTunes, all the places. Uh, go to YouTube, YouTube Extinction AD. You can check out their song Mastic, which is a uh, I'm a big fan of. Big fan of that, of course. But uh, definitely go check it out. Go uh, support Rick. Man, what a fun guy too, right? I mean, I, I love a long-winded guest. I love a like-minded, long-winded human. Um, it, it makes me feel good. I actually just get to like listen to people and stuff. It's awesome. But anyways, hey, next week, I'm going to have Rick back for part two. So definitely check that out. All right. Don't want to miss it. Be there. Be square. Whatever. I didn't say that right. But anyways, I love you. Good night. Good luck. Take it easy. <laughs>